0: Hello listeners, welcome to a new episode of Computationally Yours. I'm your host, Dr. Sabha Kadri, and today's episode is one that I've been planning for a really long time. I just didn't know where to start. To be honest with you, I'm still not sure I know where to begin, but I did sit down with my thoughts and decided that I wanted to talk to you about bioinformatics today. We've been talking about bioinformatics on the fringes through some of our episodes, such as the one about the Human Genome Project, something that has been critical to the rebirth of the field or the evolution of the field. Also, Any episode that we've talked about genetics and genomics would be incomplete without the field of bioinformatics. And finally, our most popular episode to date, the episode where we had a panel of clinical bioinformatics directors talking about what it's like to manage a team of bioinformaticians in the clinical space, the hiring process, trying to do research while doing the clinical work, etc. But what we haven't really talked about is the field of bioinformatics itself, and not textbook definitions, but the real deal, the practical aspect of what the field of bioinformatics is all about. Some of these are just thoughts in my head, now an episode. Others are long-standing beliefs about the field that I feel should be said out loud somewhere. Now, if you're an aspiring bioinformatician, this episode might have some nuggets of wisdom for you. If you don't know anything about the field, Maybe you'll walk away with a nugget or two as well. But if you're a full-time bioinformatics expert, I would love to hear from you and tell me, did I miss something? I will read the best answers on a future episode of Computationally Yours. So our email address is below in the description for your answers. Okay, so let's get started. Let me tell you a short story about something that happened with me when I got into graduate school for computational biology. I was in India, very excited about my prospects. I felt like I had just achieved a huge milestone by getting into Carnegie Mellon for a master's in computational biology. I was preparing to uh, come to the US at that time. My family had gone through a tough time, so for my mom to send me to the United States, especially an expensive school like Carnegie Mellon for my master's, was a huge thing. And I was proud of it. So I wanted to make the most of my opportunity. I started reaching out to the students who were at that time enrolled in the computational biology master's program for advice. I was a sponge at that time, just absorbing everything I could about going to the US. But then I had a chat exchange with one senior from the program and I really don't remember his name at the moment and he probably graduated before I got there so I never met him. But I'll never forget what he told me when I asked him for his advice. He told me, don't come here. Don't study computational biology. No one will hire you. You will ruin your life. Now, for someone who was risking everything at that point for this opportunity, you can imagine what I went through. Computational biology or even bioinformatics was not as hot a field back then. This is back in 2006. But funnily enough, I never doubted my decision Because I believed in the field, because I knew that I really enjoyed the science of it. I just knew that a field so fascinating had to be more powerful than that. And I never doubted that I would regret my decision. Of course, I ignored the advice, came to the US, and the rest is history. This field took off like nothing I had imagined soon after that. And that's why I'm talking about it today. It also goes to show how quickly times can change for entire fields sometimes. So, now let's talk about bioinformatics. This is a really interesting field. It sits at the cusp of many other fields and subfields, and in many cases, actually provides a supporting role. But at the same time, these other fields would not exist in their current state if it was not for the field of bioinformatics. You see, a lot of the biological sciences have now become largely data driven. We're at a point where we have more data and less understanding of the data. We've talked about this before, where we were talking about how just a few decades ago, PhD students would spend their entire thesis in just sequencing a single gene. Well, that is definitely no longer the case. So basically, what is this field? For the uninitiated, what I'm going to say might sound a little bit like jargon, but don't give up yet. So, bioinformatics is informatics applied to biology and specifically molecular biology. But what does that mean? Well, think of computer science and mathematical models, statistics, and algorithms applied to solve problems in molecular biology. Problems like data analysis, hypothesis generation, or data discovery. Bioinformatics is definitely a huge umbrella term that still covers areas of genomics, proteomics, metabolomics, some biostatistics, it's also related to an entire parallel field of clinical informatics currently, which is dealing with a lot of data science and database management too. But bioinformatics is usually associated more with genomics. And honestly, genomics has undergone the most drastic evolution in the last few decades. All fields have evolved, of course, and I'm definitely more biased, But the rate at which genomics has evolved with the advent of affordable sequencing and all these genomes being sequenced, with all these technological advances that we keep talking about, it's just been mind-blowing. And as a result, there has been a huge paradigm shift that has occurred in biology. And bioinformatics has evolved hand-in-hand with that. Now, as with most episodes, I'm going to go into a little bit of history here. We've discussed some pieces of this before. But let's start putting it together. The term bioinformatics itself surfaced in the 1990s, but one could argue that the field itself existed before that. The exact definitions are a little controversial, I think, but in general, the field initially referred to the subset of computational biology that dealt with the management and analysis of the data pertaining to DNA, RNA, and protein sequences. When you include the protein sequencing, as we've discussed in our first episode, you can see that bioinformatics goes all the way back to the 1960s. So basically what I'm trying to say is that there isn't one consensus answer to the origin of the field. But what I mentioned does cover the most basic popular ones. As we've talked about before, protein sequencing started much before DNA sequencing, in the 1960s. And this also led to various databases of protein sequences and the need to search those databases. In the 1970s then, as DNA sequencing was developing, bioinformatics was growing and algorithms like the Needleman-Wunsch was developed in 1970, Smith-Waterman in 1981. These are definitely fundamental algorithms every bioinformatician should learn about. They are also excellent examples of dynamic programming, you know, Solving the great puzzle by solving the smaller pieces first? That's what dynamic programming is all about. Anyway, so 1980s actually did see a lot of growth with various sequence-related algorithms, databases, database searching algorithms. In fact, the National Center for Biotechnology Information, which is the NCBI, was created by the NIH in the late 1980s. And to this day, every bioinformatician uses all the various databases at NCBI. Finally, let's come to the 1990s. Here's where BLAST, the ultimate searching tool based on sequence similarity, even used to this day, was published in 1990. And this was the start of many more such tools and genome sequences being published, like the fly genome in 1999, the plant genome Arabidopsis in 2000, and then, of course, the human genome draft in 2001, which changed bioinformatics forever. The field of bioinformatics itself includes a lot of areas, and as I mentioned, they have kept evolving. I'm not going to list a syllabus of what things bioinformatics includes, but the most general things to know about the field are things like sequence analysis, annotation, comparisons, gene predictions, genetic variation gene expression and related data analysis methods. We are now at the point of single cell sequencing, something we should talk about at some point too. There's modeling. And of course, the applications of bioinformatics are limitless at this point, you know, from medicine and microbial genomics, uh, which we've covered before, uh, evolution, agriculture too, actually. Where do you think GMO comes from? Anyway, the list will never end. Now, before I go into random thoughts about the field, I feel like I have to talk about bioinformatics pipelines. Specific to genomics, something that bioinformaticians do um, a lot in their daily jobs is data analysis of next-generation sequencing data. Next-generation sequencing, or NGS, is massively parallel sequencing of genomic material. It's like if DNA or RNA was a jigsaw puzzle, Then the NGS sequences, or as we call them, reads, these reads would represent the tiny puzzle pieces that a bioinformatician has to put together to get the entire picture. Except that every piece can have many copies and not everything fits together perfectly. So bioinformatics pipeline can consist of 3 steps or 300 steps. Really depends on what it's for. But let's talk about the major steps, right? Major steps typically involve some kind of filtering, like removing sequence adapters or low-quality reads. And then the next step, the next major step, is mapping those reads to the reference genome. This could be human reference, it could be any other organism. And, And this is really the big chunk of it, right? Knowing where the data comes from, building those small pieces into a larger picture. The software that's most commonly used for this mapping are BWMM for DNA and STAR or TopHat for RNA. Did I mention that bioinformaticians have a penchant for naming software? That could totally be an episode in itself. For example, there is an RNA processing suite which includes the software Bowtie, TopHat and Cufflinks. Anyway, I digress. So after this mapping or alignment, there is usually additional filtration and then calculations based on the application, such as counting for gene expression or variant calling for genetic variant testing. Some of these pipelines are well established through best practice standards. Uh, Most are custom due to the variety in applications, and each project, even though similar, can have very specific requirements. And then there are vendors right now working on an equivalent of like a black box, you know, something where you don't know what the parts are inside, something like a one button push type of pipeline as well. But I think I'll reserve talking about that on another day. So now for the second half of today's episode, I want to talk about things that I wish I knew better when I was starting out or maybe learned early along the way. So I thought I'd share a few of those. One thing that bioinformaticians listening to this will probably relate to is a collaborator or an advisor or someone that you're working with comes to you with some data and says, hey, can you find me something in this? Now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with exploratory or discovery-based analysis. I've done many projects like this myself, and sometimes you find some great results. But most of the time, these are the projects where the data was generated based on some kind of scientific hypothesis, even if you didn't know what you were exactly looking for. For every bioinformatician, it is so important to understand the difference between good data and bad data early on. The first sets of analysis you should do should definitely be different kinds of quality control. Never assume anything about the data, that's the biggest mistake you can make. And if you do find that the data is bad however you want to define that then you might have heard uh, garbage in garbage out no amount of thresholds or tweaking of the p-value will give you a significant result in that case so something to keep in mind another thing that goes kind of without saying but i'll say it anyway is correlation is not causation as intuitive as this might sound to most of you you might still find someone who maybe doesn't understand the results you generated and mistakes a relationship between your variables as something more than it is. Causation can only be shown by a systematically designed scientific study. And also, correlation can sometimes just be a coincidence. Now, here's one that every bioinformatician or even data scientist will tell you. More or less, 80% of your time on any project will be spent in data cleanup. Checking the integrity of your data, finding missing values, formatting it into something that can be analyzed, finding inconsistencies, doing quality control. I mean, this will be a major chunk of your work in bioinformatics. Sometimes you will have to write 150 lines of code to find one number that goes in one sentence in the manuscript. Lastly, I do want to talk about people in the field of bioinformatics. People from various backgrounds have gone on to become successful bioinformaticians, like we've discussed, I think, uh, for many of our guests across our different episodes in Computational ERs. Some people might come from a purely biology background or a purely computer science background too. Or few in recent times are trained bioinformaticians. But even the graduate programs out there are not standardized or consistent on what is being taught in the field yet. Because it's just that new. That's not because they don't know what they're doing. It's just the nature of the field. There's just so much to cover. Many times people come to me and ask me, hey, you know, what programming languages do I need to know to become a bioinformatician? I've been asked this question more than a couple of times. So this is what I tell them. Like the field itself, there's no perfect answer because the skill sets are tailored to the specifics of the job requirements or sometimes even the project requirements. And in some cases, the projects become tailored to the person's skill sets too. But the most important thing that bioinformaticians should know is to be comfortable with the command line, with the Linux operating system. And there's a reason for that. One of the main reasons is that most bioinformatics software are command line based. The truly big data analytics are most effectively also run on Linux servers. And that is why knowing how to handle the basics of Linux is mandatory, according to me. You can only get so far with anything else. For those of you who are without a computer science background, you just need to get over the fear of the command line, which can only happen with doing. Pick up a tutorial online, just play with it. It's the best way to learn. The other programming languages that I usually recommend are Python and R. Python for scripting, R for statistical analysis and plotting. And now there are just so many packages and libraries in these languages that of already package all the functionality that maybe we had to do ourselves if we were coding just 5 years ago. Of course, there are other programming languages as well, but these are the most common ones. I also recognize that not every bioinformatician is going to write a new software application. And you can learn just enough programming to support the operations of a bioinformatics team, maybe run a pipeline or troubleshoot a pipeline. But I do think that for longevity in the field, bioinformaticians need to have some specializations. It could be in data analytics, it could be in data science, pipeline development, maybe something more computational like software engineering or web development. Now, this is bringing me towards the end of the episode, and I do realize that there's much more that I can talk about in this field. Things like how machine learning is now leading to pathbreaking innovations or about file formats that have been specially developed for bioinformatics. But instead, I'm going to leave you with this. Because the field of bioinformatics is so diverse and filled with people from various backgrounds, sometimes this can lead to a lack of quality checks on tools and software that are published. The bioinformatician has a huge responsibility to wear many hats sometimes. Sometimes programming code, sometimes checking code, maintaining databases, doing data analysis, and so many things. But at the same time, also understanding that doing one type of analysis does not train one to do all types of analysis. This field is evolving at such a pace that we're all evolving as scientists and constantly updating ourselves and our knowledge bases. And that is both the exciting and scary part about this adventure. And listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode. Do remember to email me your thoughts about this episode. Did I miss something that you would like me to talk about? Would you like to know more about something? I will read the best answers on a future episode. Our email address is computationallyyours at gmail.com and it's listed in the description below. Do subscribe to us on your favorite platform. We release new episodes every Tuesday. And until next time, this is computationally yours.